My name is Jimmy Fowler. I'm uh, executive pastor over at Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles. Uh, the elders there had asked me, they said, please pass on our greetings. Please pass on how much we love you guys, how much we pray for you guys. So quarterly, as elders, we get together and we do what we, what we call is like just a time of prayer. Well, it's called prayer, so it's not just a time of prayer. But we do it quarterly for all of our members and then all of our church plants. And so we pray for you continually. You know, we're praying for, for your leadership. We pray for you individuals. Uh, as, Seth gives, as Pastor Seth gives us updates on what's going on, we're praying for those circumstances. Uh, we're praying for some of you by name as, as Seth shares, you know, what's going on in your lives and what's going on in the lives of the church. So for me, this is quite an honor to be here with you, uh, to be able to share God's word with you. And this morning we'll be looking at First uh, Peter Chapter 1, verse 22, so if you've got your Bible or your phone, you've got your phone, so you can look it up. Just go ahead and ESV, Google, First Peter, unless you've got some app, you can use your app. But we're looking at verse 22. And as you're turning there, one of the things that's really been on my heart over the past couple, uh, well, really, over the past year and a half, nearly two years, is as I look at what's going on in the church today, I see just a lot of divisiveness and division. There seems to be a lot of animosity. And maybe, maybe you're, you're, you haven't seen that. Maybe you're the smart person that never signed up for Twitter. And you decide, you know what? I'm just going to stay away from this mess. But even in the last couple of years, we've, we've kind of been seeing that there's this division within the church. Well, first of all, we've seen it within society as a whole. So even if you haven't been on Twitter, if you've just been out and about, you've seen this division. You know, we've seen it most recently when it came to whether you were for Trump or for Biden. We see it continually as it's whether you're for mass or no mass or whether you're vax or anti-vax or maybe not even anti-vax, just holding off on the vax until more information is made available. But we see in society this push and this tension to kind of put this, this dividing line in the sand and saying you're either with us or against us. You're either for us or not with us. And somehow, some way, we've seen that infiltrate the church today. We've seen it in the church where, where people look and, and they try to tell each other and they try to say, well, you either follow the way I believe and how I would articulate things or do the things that I do, or obviously you're a liberal, or obviously you're ultra-conservative. Things go to the nth degree. So we have allowed society to influence our conduct within the church today. And so one of the things really I wanted to look at this morning and things that's been really been on my heart is what does it mean to love within a church? What is that we're called to, to love one another, to support one another, to serve one another? to be sacrificial towards each other, to be generous, to be charitable with each other. Because how the world conducts itself should never be what we allow within the church to be the norm of how we conduct relationships with each other. And so what I'd like for us to see here this morning as we look at 1 Peter is this. Your salvation is shown in your love for one another. Please pray with me. Father, I, I ask that your spirit would be here with us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, just open our hearts to receive your word, that we would be encouraged this morning to, to, to live lives that are worthy of our calling, 
that we would live lives that are, that are worthy of you, of the salvation that we have received from you. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged to, to, to keep doing the things that, that maybe we are doing. But Father, I do pray for, for us that we sense this tension going on in our hearts. I pray, Father, that, that we would be emboldened to, to reject the world and to cling to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Your salvation is shown in your love for one another. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And so we're going to be working through this in, in two ways here. Okay, We're going to break this down into two ways. First, we're going to be looking at the call to love that we see in the passage. And secondly, we're going to look at the conduct of love that is shown in the passage. So first, let's look at God's word here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Reads like this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There's, there's a lot here that we're that we're to be going through and trying to, to break down. What does that mean to purify one's soul and how is it done by our obedience? especially if we do not believe that, that our salvation is works-based. But let's take a step back and look at some of the context here in 1 Peter. You see, Peter is writing, and he's writing to, to, to Asia Minor. He's writing to these churches out there. And for a lot of them, there's this persecution that's, that's happening among them, these, this persecution that because they would not conform to the way society had done things, because they would not conform to the way culture around them told them they were meant to live or how they were to act or how they were to be involved in sacrificial ceremonial washings and cleansings, and so there was this persecution because they were being different from the world. They were being set apart from the world. I mean, another way of putting it is that they were holy unto God. They were set apart, saying, no, we will live by the standard and rules and regulations as our God has claimed. Not by the way the world tells us to. Not by the way the world pushes upon us. Not by their, their beliefs and their structures and their systems. But only by what the word of God says himself. And so these, these churches are being persecuted, and he's, and he's encouraging them to continue on doing what they're doing. And preceding this passage, we see this call for holiness. It says, be holy in your conduct. As you're going about it, do not be disgruntled. Do not, do not lose heart. Do not give in. Do not give up that which you are doing. And so be holy, be different, be set apart. And this holiness then leads to this love for one another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so now we look at this call to love. Now I'm kind of going to do a little Tarantino here. I'm going to do a little Tarantino here. Even though we're looking at verses, uh, verse 22, I'm going to go look at verse 23 and then we're going to go back to 22. Because at the beginning of verse 23, it says this, since you have been born again. So hear that as we read that all together. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since, so because, you have been born again. 
Since you have been saved, since you have been redeemed, since you have been uh, called by God, since you have been regenerated, right? Since you have left that old life of yours and you have came into this new life in Christ, love one another. You see, some of the, this basis then of, our, of what it means to love one another is rooted in our salvation. It's rooted in our calling to, that, God has, that God has done in our lives. You see, Scripture talks about those who were enemies of God, those that had this enmity between God because of sin in our lives and because of our sinful nature. We were not close to God. We were enemies of God. We hated God, Scripture would talk about in, the, in those terms. And so God himself came, Jesus himself came to redeem us, to save us, to give of himself and take the just punishment for our sin. And there then he reconciled us and we put on then we put off this old self and put on the new. This old life is gone, as Scripture talks about. This new life has come. And with that salvation then comes this adoption, this adoption as children of God, that we are his and his alone, where which we can cry out, Abba, Father. And this notion of adoption in Scripture is, is this practice of once you have been adopted into this family, you have no rightful claims to your old life. You have no rightful claim to the old way. You have no rightful claim to what was before. And so you put that off because everything that is of yours now is a part of your new life. What your father now is giving you is there set for you to take and grab hold of. And so as children of God, no longer children of Satan, we have this right to call him Abba Father. We claim him as our own. And so we have this salvation. Since you have been born again, we let go of our old ways and we, we grab on to this new. Now we then go back to verse 22. What does it say there? Having purified your souls. Now, I don't know any of you, but I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, nominal. Would only kind of go when I was supposed to and then forced to do like the altar stuff, altar boy stuff. I went to Marmion Military Academy and I quite enjoyed being an altar boy because we would, we would sit there and you got the opportunity to like serve everything and then afterwards, the priest would give you the wine and you chug the wine before you went back to class. So we would sit there and, and, and enjoy this, but part of the thing about what I struggled with as a Roman Catholic was this notion of, Jimmy, you must continually be trying to, to fix yourself. You got to keep trying to, to purify yourself and to get better. And, and listen, if you need help, ask this old dead saint, and here's a bone fragment, and maybe you could pray to it and pray with it, and, and that's going to give you some strength and help. And, and so I was just sitting there going through, like, none of this is helping me. I remember they gave me a bone fragment, so I'd, I passed Spanish class, and I'm Hispanic. I couldn't figure this out, how this all worked together. But you read here, having purified your souls, and right away we push back against that as good Protestants, at least I do, having grown up as a Roman Catholic, being taught that I had to sit there and, and fight for it and work and work and work and push and make it happen, and you're failing so much, and that's why you're not changing. Because we ask ourselves, well, hold on, isn't this the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Isn't that we believe that we, we have then this faith that God himself, that the Holy Spirit himself would be changing us, regenerating us, changing our hearts. Well, yes, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And yet we are still called to participate. I mean, Scripture talks about that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And yet, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's this double nature of it. Where God is there, the Holy Spirit is there, but we are then yet called to be actively participating, to be actively pursuing. And we know this is not easy. This, this daily work of sanctification, this, this changing, this changing from one degree of glory to the next, from, from this changing every single day of letting go of the old and embracing the new. And we know it's not easy. It's this daily dying of ourselves. But this notion then is not, is not just in here in 1 Peter, but even in James 4.8 it says this, draw near to God. So that's you as an individual. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And so there is this invitation here when we talk about uh, being, uh, pur- uh, purifying your souls. So then what is that work that we're, we're doing? Well, it says here, obedience to the truth. And again, my radar goes up and says, well, does that mean follow the law perfectly? Does that mean I need to make sure it's all in order and I've got everything set up? perfectly just the way it's supposed to be? Well, no, we've, we've learned that we can't do that. Not one of us can obey the law perfectly. And that's why we have Jesus. Jesus, God himself came and lived a perfect life of obedience. His active and his passive obedience where he fulfilled the law's demands. He loved God perfectly when we couldn't. He loved his neighbor perfectly when we couldn't. He himself lived this perfect, perfect life because scripture talks about us, you break one aspect of the law, you've broken the whole. And for all of us, we, were, we, were, we deserve the just condemnation for our sin, for our disobedience, for breaking the law of God. But Jesus himself came. Hear that, Jesus himself, that God himself came and Jesus came and he He put on flesh, and he lived a perfect life. So then what does that then mean if if we're really only going to be trusting in in Jesus as our hope to obey the law's demands? So how then are we to purify ourselves by your obedience to the truth? Because really, I would look at verse 21, go right up ahead and say, it's faith and hope in the gospel. Verse 21 says this, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, then having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know, and throughout the, this passage here, going down even to uh, through verse 25, we see uh, uh, things that stick out, this living and abiding word of God. We see the word of God remains forever, and the word is the good news, as it says in verse 25. So when we look at the truth, we're talking about the gospel. So when we say, what does that then mean to obey? What is this obedience that we're called to? We're called to faith and hope in the truth, and the truth is the good news. The truth is the gospel. This is the basis of our call to love one another. See, our salvation and, and our hope and our obedience is not, it's not works-based. And it's not just to anything or to anyone. It's not to MAGA or to build back better. It's not to mass or to vax or to not mask or to not have a vaccine. 
It's only the person and work of Jesus that we put our faith and hope in, the gospel. I mean, 1 John 3.3 says it this way, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so when we see this passage here, having purified your souls by your hope and faith to the gospel, that's what we're all called to. Without that, love is empty. Without that, you can't get to the next step of loving one another. Without having a complete independent faith and hope in who Jesus is and what he has done, the rest of this means nothing to you. It, it, it can't. All then, it's just morality. After that, it's just forcing it. After that, it's just going through the motions. After that, it's just being really, really nice. Here's the thing. There are a lot of really, really nice people out there that are unbelievers. There are a lot of really, really generous unbelievers. There are oftentimes I meet Christians and I think to myself, I know a lot of non-believers that have a better heart than you, brother. And so we need this, though, because what we miss when we don't understand, we can't understand what it means to love another person unless we understand the love to which God has poured out for us to save us, to redeem us, to claim us, to adopt us as his own. One who has understood their salvation is more willing then to extend their love to their neighbor, to a lost world, because they know what they've been saved from and who they've been saved for. And so when we talk about this obedience, this faith and hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And that then is our call to love. And he and our salvation is our basis for that love. But now let's look at the conduct of love. Because especially as, as uh, well, for, for us at Redeemer, we're, we're, we're Reformed Baptist. Um, and we, we enjoy discussing theology and going through doctrines and, and reading books. And, and so it's wonderful that we, we seem to have, you know, we like to think we have things all together. We like to believe we kind of have our, our, our theology nice and, and succinct, you know. Um, and yet sometimes we can get too much head knowledge and forget about what the heart and hands are called to do. Forget about the affection for which we're supposed to be having for God and for our neighbor, and then how that manifests itself in conduct and how we, how we act towards our God and to our neighbor. You see, as we look at this, we, we see that love is the result here. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth, for the result of which then becomes a sincere, brotherly love. See, Hope and faith in Christ leads to brotherly love. That's how it should be resulting itself in. You know, show me and tell me that you're a believer, but show me in your conduct and how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, like I said, in our, in our culture today, in our Christian culture today, we see a lot of division. People, there's just a lot of animosity and pushing back and disagreements. And, and I see it sometimes happening within the church. And, and I praise God, I'm hearing wonderful things about what's happening within Ransom City. But in any other, any churches, there's, there's opportunities. There's opportunities for the enemy to set in and to cause division and arguments over things we should not be divided and arguing about. Because we know we have this hope and faith in Jesus Christ that should lead to this brotherly love. Obedience to truth for a sincere brotherly 
love. I, I love that. And right after that says this, love one another earnestly from pure heart. This is not a suggestion, but this is a commandment in scripture as you look at it. This is a command that we are to follow, that we are to love one another. This is a non-negotiable. We don't get to pick and choose who it is that we want to love and care for. You know, oftentimes I see, and, and, and it happens in my heart too, is it's easy to love the people that you get along with. It's easy to love the people that agree with you. It's easy to love the people that are in the same tribe as you or think the same way you do or like the same things you like. You know, it's easy to, to love those people. What about our other brothers and sisters that believe differently? Not on the, not on the, the essentials on who Jesus is and what he has done and, and the sufficiency and, and errancy of Scripture. But what do we do with other brothers and sisters that, that believe differently than us or express themselves differently than us? Oftentimes we try to cast them aside and say, well, they're not with us, so they must not be really with us as believers. You know, we're called to love. And even here, and within the church today, within our local congregations, we're called to love each other, and it's not negotiable. To build relationships, to get to know one another, to be hospitable with each other. I mean, really, when we look at hospitality, we're talking about making an outsider feel like an insider. That's what we're looking to do when we talk about hospitality and loving each other. But see, love is not going through the motions, just begrudgingly. Hearing this law and this task and feeling like I have to force this and fake it till I make it. Love is not affectionless. See, because the qualifier here is a sincere love. That means you truly do love the individual. You truly do want to see what's best for them. You truly do want, want to see them thrive and to be encouraged and to grow in their faith. It says even this earnest love for them. See, it's not begrudgingly, it's not fake, it's not affectionless. It's sincere and it's earnest. And throughout scripture, we see all these passages of what love looks like. And they're kind of broken down into two sections here, so I'm gonna break them down to two sections. There's, there's the positive, right? And then there's the, the negative, right? So there's the, you know, you, you know, how you make sure you love one another. And then there's the, you know, like a negative to like, do not lie to one another, right? So what you should be doing and then what you should not be doing. And so we say, what does love look like? Well, one is in Romans 12, 10, love is committed to each other. We don't give up on each other when we disagree. We don't give up on each other when we don't see eye to eye. We don't just leave each other over small things just because someone had offended me. Listen, well, this is what something we tell people every single, every single, we have, uh, so before people could become members, I was just talking to Danny, right? Danny, new member, one, two weeks, I think he said. Praise God, man, love that. Very important to be joining and being part of a local church assembly. Really encouraged to hear that. So for us, before someone gets voted in, they go through membership orientation. And during that three, four hour ordeal, we pretty much tell everyone, hey, guess what? Someone in the church is going to offend you. I just want you to know that. And it's probably gonna be me because a lot of times Pastor Jimmy just flies off the seat of his pants and says things and later on has to go, I'm sorry, guys. My bad, that was a bad joke, I guess. 
But we, we're very upfront. You're going to be offended with the church. And not only necessarily because you're going to hear something, because God's word can be offensive, because it goes against our, our normalities of what we, what we want and desire, but also sometimes because we just make mistakes if we have bad days or we're going through a rough season. And you as brothers and sisters are going to offend each other and hurt each other, sometimes intentionally, oftentimes unintentionally. And so we're committed to each other to work through that together. That's part of being a part of the membership, covenanting together, saying we're not just going to walk away. We're going to Matthew 18 this and go through it together and resolve this as brothers and sisters in Christ. So love is committed for each other. Love is also sacrificial, as we see in Galatians 5.13, where we give of ourselves to another, where we give of our, our time and our treasures where we give of ourselves so that others may have more, so that others may thrive, so that others may be served. Romans 12.10 talks about how we, we love each other by outdoing each other and give, showing honor. We honor our other brothers and sisters in Christ. What does love look like? Love looks like we're praying for each other, that we're praying for you, that you're praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just here at Ransom City, but in, the, in our community, in our state, in our world. We're praying for our brothers and sisters overseas. I always find it, but specifically here at the local church level, I find it extremely hard to really be angry with someone that I'm praying for. I don't know how to pray like that. Oh, I'm not really happy with this guy. I really hate this guy, but Lord, be good. Let it all go well. Now, there's often times where I'll say, Lord, I really struggle. I know it's my heart. I know it's me. I know I just get annoyed by little things. And they have this little thing, and it annoys me. I wish they would stop. But, Father, I do want to see them thrive. I want them to see, I want to see them be encouraged. I want to see them abandon their sin and to cling to you. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters, and, and we love by rejoicing at what God is doing in their lives rather than envying and being judging, judgmental or jealous of what God is doing in their life. So we rejoice when God is doing something wonderful in their life, even when we think, Lord, why aren't you doing that in mine? And love, as Ephesians 5.21 points out, looks like submitting to one another. Submitting to one another in love, caring for one another, wanting to see each other, listening to and, and being willing to lay down how I would do something or how I would go about it. Being able to, to submit to each other, that's, that's hard. Especially for me, I'm an arrogant guy, very prideful that oftentimes thinks I've got it all together and honestly, I, I think oftentimes my way is the right way. But then having to sit there and listening and go, oh well, I wouldn't do it that way, but Lord, I submit, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to submit to them, and I'm going to submit to you, Lord, and let's go that route, and we'll press forward. I'll do everything I can to see that be successful. So we submit to each other. But then we see some of the negatives here. Or not negatives, but stated, I guess, negatively, do not do this. So we are called to be committed, sacrificial, honoring, praying, rejoicing, submissive, but then we're also called, in Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. 
being honest and real and transparent with your other brothers and sisters in Christ with what's going on in your life and in your heart. Instead of acting like, yes, every, you know, when you're getting called out on your sin, saying, brother, I'm, I'm kind of seeing something here. I'm really kind of, I'm concerned that there's maybe this habit going on. Instead of just being defensive and upset and, and lying and saying, no, you're wrong. Being like, yeah, you know what? It is, that's true. There is something going on in my heart and let's explore that together. We're called to Romans 14, 13 to stop passing judgment against each other. To not be looking and, and saying, why is it that they're doing goodness? How, how horrible that must be. Galatians 5.15 puts it like this, do not bite, devour, destroy one another. I've heard it once said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. I mean, how often do you see that, especially in our cancel culture today that's infiltrated the church? Someone says one thing, does one thing wrong, they struggle, they falter, and all of a sudden, boom. We throw out their books and say, nah, nothing they've ever done or said or preached has ever been worthwhile. But at the local level, do not, bite, do not bite, devour, destroy one another. James 4.11, so back in Colossians 3.9 was do not lie to one another. James 4.11, do not slander. So do not lie about one another. Do not say negative things about what someone else is or who they are, presenting it as truth. And then James 5.9, do not grumble against each other. See, brothers and sisters, we're called to love one another sincerely and earnestly. And yeah, that does take time. There is that aspect that it takes time. Relationships take time. And as you're building these relationships, especially here at Ransom City, as you're, as you're building, and I could see it, I sat back and I was watching these friendships and these, these groups and these communities talking and, and enjoying each other and checking in on one another and, and finding out how big that splinter was that was in homeboy's wrist. Everyone was concerned and wanted to know. But you build this relationship and this friendship that grows into this love for one another that despite whether or not you guys are here at the other location or back in Evanston or up in Wisconsin, you're committed to one another and you love one another. You're not willing to let go of each other. So we're called to, right? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, your salvation is shown in your love for one another. And as we go through and we come out of 2020 and we go into 2021 and we see whatever else is ahead of us, I pray that we would continue to exhibit and outdo each other in showing love for one another. Because as we show our love and as we are exhibiting love for one another, we're really showing the salvation that we have embraced in Jesus Christ, our hope and faith, the only gospel that matters. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for, for your word. I thank you for uh, just the beauty of it, the simplicity of it, and oftentimes, Lord, just even the simple call to love has so much wrapped into it. How do we do it? How does it go about? What's the best path forward? How do we truly show love and, and what, what does it mean to not really show love? 
Father, I pray that we would actually, we would be thinking through these things, we work in our hearts and, and how here at Ransom City and even at Redeemer Fellowship, Lord, as, as I've been exploring and I've been wondering, how is it that we continue to outdo in showing love for one another? How do we rejoice and, 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 and endure in the midst of changing times and, and uncertain times? And Father, I just ask that your spirit would be with us, leading us, guiding us, And ultimately, Father, changing our hearts so that we have this real, sincere, and earnest affection for one another. We pray this all in your name. Amen.